Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents Archivos Brainstorms, episode 119. Archivos Podcast Network. I'm Michael R. Underwood. And I'm Dave Robison. And you are listening to Archivos Brainstorms. On Archivos Brainstorms, we invite writers to come onto the show and pitch a story idea to us and <laughs> our esteemed guest host. And then we clear the fields of imagination, till the soil, plant that idea, water it with glorious inspiration until it grows and blooms into literary gold. <laughs> Ah, oh God, we are we are we are farmers of of literary awesomeness. Uh, that's I love that metaphor. Uh, friends, uh, welcome back to the Archivos Podcast Network once again. Uh, our, our dear Marie Bilodeau uh, sits in convalescence after her recent bout in the medical arenas. Uh, she has emerged victorious and is on the mend. She will be back with us very soon, but fret not. We have a gladiatorial champion uh, uh, taking her place for this ensuing brainstorm. Michael R. Underwood, it was a delight to 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 share Podsphere space with you for the Archivos Insights episode of a week ago. It continues to be a delight uh, to anticipate a brainstorm with you, sir. Thanks for making the time. I have rolled up my sleeves and I am ready to dive into some glorious storiness. Glorious storiness, indeed. And and I'm, I've got my hoe and my trowel and my rake. Uh, uh, we are ready to to do this, but we need one more member of our tilling crew. Uh, dear friends, fresh from a fabulous Archivos Insights conversation of just one week ago, please welcome back to the sumptuous comfy chair here at the Archivos Podcast Network, Seanan McGuire. Hello. Hello, hello. Uh, I, I, it's been five years since we have shared uh, the Brainstorm Arena, Seanan. Um, that Brainstorm experience of half a decade ago uh, still stands out brightly in my memory, and I'm really looking forward to diving once more into the storytelling froth with you, ma'am. I am so grateful you made the time. Thank you. I'm always happy to make time for you. Ah, you're most kind. Now, Seanan, uh, uh, your your career has been marked by many things, not the least of which is is fearsome productivity. Uh, so as I prepare for this next question, I'm settling in uh, and actually strapping in as well. Um, so, uh, Seanan, what's coming up in your world, ma'am? Oh, gosh, biscuits. Um, I know, it's right? It's December. But for it's all intents December when I'm speaking right um, and this is one of those places where it's it's hard enough to run uh, so I have I have books coming out next year in January March April May June July and September September yes uh, because sleep is for the week did you know that's right I really speak week I miss sleep uh, so January is going to be Beneath the Sugar Sky, which is the third book in my Wayward Children series. Uh, the Wayward Children books are released by Tor.com Publishing, and they are uh, adult novels that are suitable for a YA audience, uh, which is relevant mostly because I won the Alex Award for the first one. Yes. Um, and the Alex is given out by the same people who give out the Newbery Award. So <laughs> I kind of died a little bit when that happened. Like. <laughs> 
I, I try not to be all, oh, I won this award, but then I won the Alex, and for about a week, that would be, I would introduce myself that way. And in genre, of course, no one knows what that is, and out of genre, you get stared at like you're lying. Um, so that was super fun. And then in March, uh, Tricks for Free, which is the latest of my encrypted novels, is going to be out from Daw Books. And that is my second longest-running urban fantasy series. This will be book number seven, uh, which is very exciting for me. Um, and uh, then everything after that, I think it's a good idea to check Amazon, because otherwise it's so far in the future that you will have forgotten. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, and then I'll be at various conventions throughout the year. Honestly, the best place to keep track of that is is at my website, which is Um, I keep the appearances fairly well updated. And uh, again, I think I could rattle them off, but it would just be a list. If Indeed. you check the page, you'll be able to find them and decide whether they are relevant to you. But hopefully I get to see at least some of you in the next year. I, I need to see Michael once a year or else the compact is broken and one of us has to return to the terrible world from which we came. Oh, damn. Uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not actually down for going back yet, Michael, so you better show up. Well, I don't know. Like, this this world has, has uh, developed some additional problems. So, like, there's a little bit yes. of grass is greener aspect, but I still have words to write here. So, yeah, we'll make and it also happen. there's still oxygen here, and I really like that part. So... <laughs> Be there, man. I'm not ready to be deported. All right, I'll uh, I'll go take a look and we'll uh, we'll make some plans. See, and the right. visual that I have is you both meeting up at like Worldcon, everybody going in for a high five, and then Michael faking you out, both of you vanishing in a puff of of sulfur, and everybody going, "What the hell just happened?" Yeah, let's face it. This is us. Everyone be like, "Oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, true yeah, that." We end up back in the other place and do the thing like in Sandman where Morpheus goes to see the same guy every, you know, four or five decades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> see, I, I think it's, we've got fanfic going here. Well, it's the same thing as one day when the mothership shows up to get me, everybody's just going to be like, oh, I knew it. Right. Yep. This explains so much. Awesome. Sean and I will make sure all of that gets into the liner notes. Uh, uh, if it's just so people can make with the clicky clicks. Michael, what about you, man? You you continue to to blaze a fresh and innovative trail through the wilderness of spec fic. I'm curious, what do you have on your plate that's coming up? Uh, so the the next confirmed release is something that I can only sort of talk about uh, because of the way that they do their promotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, I've been working on a collaborative fiction project with um, some fabulous folks in um, Marie Brennan, Cassandra Kaw, and Malka Older on a, a project that will hopefully be announced very shortly into 2018, and I'll be sure to, to follow up. It is uh, a world that I've had in my brain for quite some time, and I have had just the, the absolute best time getting to work with uh, those three fabulous writers, each of whom uh, kind of teaches me more about writing every time we talk or every time I read their work. So it's been an utter delight to get to kind of um, coordinate that team. And I hope that people will get excited about the project when it is announced. And then after that, assuming that my space opera that I've been working on for a while is done, I'll be trying to dive back in for genre knots season two to continue that, um, kind of serial genre hopping adventure. Excellent. And your other podcasting appearances? Yeah. So uh, actually later today, I'm recording a podcast about Star Wars, The Last Jedi. And um, <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> 
And then on Speculate, um, this month we are doing episodes on Michelle Baker's Borderline, mm. uh, which is yeah. really fun. So you can look for those uh, in your podcast feeds since if this goes out in January, they will probably be available already. Excellent. Excellent. And friends, if you're not plugged in to the awesomeness that is Speculate SF, I greatly urge you to do so. It is, I, I have honestly, my my horizons are broadened, uh, my understanding is deepened, and my eyes are opened when I listen to that show. Uh, so friends, if, you, if you're into story, I can, I can highly heartily recommend you make that scene. Outstanding. Michael, uh, your conventions for the coming year. So that's going to be Confusion, Emerald City Comic Con, Baltic Con, um, Convergence, World Con, and then the rest is TBD. But I tend to keep my my appearances up on my website as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll make sure that those hyperlinks. Uh, actually, what's the URL real quick for those people that are poised at their keyboard as we speak? MichaelRUnderwood.com. R is just the middle initial. Bam. There we go. All right, guys, make, that'll be in the liner notes. Uh, uh, if you're clicky clicking now, that's fine. Just keep listening because this is going to be awesome. Very cool. Let's take a pause here. I want to give uh, a bit of time to our sponsor, Archivos, uh, the story development and presentation tool for today's storytellers. Uh, uh, but when we come back from that bit of promotion, Seanan, Michael, I would love to brainstorm a story with you guys. What do you say? Okay. <laughs> okay. Awesome. I think there's an accord there. Friends, don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. Archivos, the new story development application from WonderThink Studios, will change the way you look at stories. Archivos takes a different approach to documenting your story setting. While most wikis and storytelling frameworks focus on documenting the elements of your stories, Archivos is more interested in the connections between those story elements. It's the relationships between characters and places and events that express the true structure and allure of your stories. As a storyteller, that's the awareness you need to strengthen and refine the crafting of your stories. Archivos really is the story development tool for today's storytellers. Learn more about Archivos at www.archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Archivos, your stories illuminated. Welcome back, dear friends. And now we get down to the business at hand. The reason why you're here and certainly the reason why we're here. The story brainstorm. And that does not happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding boldly to the slightly less comfortable writer's chair here in the Archivos Virtual Studios. And dear friends, our guest writer for this episode uh, represents a true alchemy of experience. He studied law at New York University and Pace University Law School, testing his mettle as an intern in the halls of corporate power. After graduating, he pursued public service, providing representation to members of impoverished communities. He has appeared before the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Justice Immigration Courts, and has been a political commentator on various news programs. 
Now, in addition to all of this, he continues to work on several stories set in his Crossroads universe and has had a one-act play about a group of LGBT heroes chosen by the City College of New York for a dramatic reading. Holy crap, dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here at Archivos Brainstorms, Arthur DeLeon. Arthur Dude, it is never easy, even in spite of the fact that you have stood before the Department of Homeland Security. I would imagine that offering up your story idea for scrutiny and discussion may be on par just in terms of stress and tension that those two things may evolve. So, dude, thank you so much for stepping up to, to, to share your story, man. We appreciate it. No problem. This is uh, this is certainly more nerve-wracking than uh, sitting in on interrogations. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it because you're a writer, and that's just how we're wired, man. Uh, so, just real quick, your uh, your one-act play. When is that going to uh, be read? Oh, it was read two years ago, actually, at the oh. uh, City University. So I still have the script, but I uh, someday I plan on turning that into a novel as well. That's awesome. That's very cool. I, I, I would love to hear more about that. Um, but unfortunately, our time is tight. We have other stories to focus on, specifically yours. So let's get into that. Uh, Arthur, you know how this works, man. We give you five to eight minutes. Give us the title, the genre, the format, your target audience. Give us a tagline to set our brains moving down a, a certain story path. Introduce us to the themes, if you have them, the world, the characters, and then walk us through the tent poles of the story itself, and we will be off to the brainstorm races sir i'm i'm done talking man the mic is all yours that's never true <laughs> for now for now i am done talking <laughs> take it away there arthur <laughs> okay thank you so the title is a working title as you said the crossroads universe uh the working title is love and violence it's prose fiction superhero adventure the hook line amy ariel jones administrative aid to a metahuman team leaves the battles to others. But now that the threat to humanity comes in the form of her own mother and a mysterious cosmic being, Amy will be forced to choose between redeeming the only family she has and saving the man she loves. The theme is also working. It's maybe something along the lines of parental love, making children a priority over personal desires, uh, also possibly True charity versus charity for the sake of recognition. Uh, the world. The world is set on an earth where both superpowers and magic exist. Individuals with special abilities, however, have not been forced to hide their identity or work in the shadows. A majority have been convinced through a combination of media campaigns and educational scholarships to enlist for careers in law enforcement. The existence of alien races and elder gods has led to a growing philosophic movement known as One Earth. It's based on the concept that only a unified Earth can meet the challenges of the future. The characters. The protagonist. The protagonist of the story is Amy Ariel Jones, a.k.a. Bubbles. She is a young Welsh woman who lives in London and is employed by one of the UK government's specially able division teams. With little control over her own power to create fragile, transparent plasma bubbles, which constantly orbit her, Amy has chosen a career in logistics. Amy is dependable, pleasant, with a quirky sense of humor. 
She has not been exhausted of her desire to help others despite the fact that outside of work, her entire life revolves around caring for her ill and demanding mother. Amy is supported by Owen de Jesus McGraw, a.k.a. Shift. He's an American field agent with the ability to pass through solid objects. He's a former love interest from Amy's university days. He has come to London to explore the possibility of volunteering for an exchange program. The primary antagonist is the cosmic being known only as the lover. He is a charismatic individual who presents himself as a savior to abused and vulnerable women. In reality, the lover is addicted to praise, adulation, and worship. He craves these things so much that he cannot bear the thought of any of his worshippers loving anyone other than him, including their own innocent children. The story. The story opens with Amy Jones, who is a logistics assistant for a specially able division team. After watching as her team sets out on a field mission to stop a cult from summoning a demon that could destroy London, Amy returns to her clerical duties. As Amy is completing her incident reports, she receives a call from Owen McGraw, who has arrived in London to deliver a prisoner captured in San Francisco. Normally, Amy spends all of her time outside of work caring for her ill and demanding mother, Lucy. On this night, however, Amy decides to slip out when her mother falls asleep and meet Owen at a pub. At the prison facility, Owen, a lieutenant and army ranger who has recently been demoted from his posting as an executive officer of a SAD team, completes the delivery of the prisoner. Owen then leaves for what he tells his commanding officer is a vacation. As the rest of his team prepares their plane for departure. Owen and Amy meet at a charming London pub, and despite not having seen each other for years, both immediately feel a warmth, warmth and chemistry for each other. Meanwhile, back at the prison, the prisoner is a woman with no history of special abilities who suddenly developed super strength and the ability to fly. This woman then beat her abusive husband to death, flew her child to the U.S., intending to take him to a world-famous amusement park. During her interrogation, the woman can only repeat the phrase, I thought he loved me, but I was wrong. The interview is suddenly interrupted by a squad of flying, super-strong women who descend on the prison. The women battle both the American team and the prison guards. The women win the battle, they take the prisoner, and fly off into the night sky. Amy returns home in the early hours of the morning from Owen's hotel room to find that her mother has been seriously injured in a fall. In the hospital, Lucy wakes to find her arm and leg are in a cast. Lucy then begins to berate Amy for not being there when Amy was needed. Amy confesses that she was on a date. In the middle of the argument, Amy's phone rings. It is Owen. He asks her to turn on the news. Amy decides to do so to discover coverage of the destroyed prison. Owen asks Amy to help him get an emergency assignment onto the London team. Owen feels he must take part in the investigation of the incident at the prison, blaming himself for his teammates' injuries. Amy rushes from the hospital to help Owen and her team. Lucy begins to cry, but suddenly the lover arrives in her room. The lover tells Lucy that he can sense her pain and the fact that she has been wronged by a man. The lover offers to bless Lucy with a gift and free her from her fragile body. Lucy accepts. She is then reborn as the lover describes it. In her new powerful body, Lucy becomes fixated on avenging herself on the man she sees as the cause for her pain, the man who stole her daughter, Owen. 
at the SAD team base, Amy, Owen, and the team are unable to locate the team of super fl strong flying women. Owen is able to convince one of his teammates to use her power to call up visions despite her injuries. She reveals the origin and location of the lover. Along with the field team, Owen rushes to capture the lover. As Amy watches footage of the battle, the SAD team is viciously defeated, overcome with concern for her team and Owen. Amy charges in without a thought for her own safety. Arriving at the lover's hideout, Amy begins to battle him. During the battle, the lover reveals to Amy that he can sense that she has been betrayed. An injured Owen is forced to confess that he has been demoted. This causes Amy to question his honesty, and she begins to wonder if Owen used her. This is is this is when Omen this is when Amy is defeated by the lover. Amy falls to the ground and Owen attempts to protect her with his own body. Owen then reveals that during a battle, he disobeyed his commanding officer's orders to protect a rich political donor and ignore the safety of a large crowd of civilians. In hopes of getting help from a friend with a fresh start, Owen contacted Amy only to find that even after all these years, he still had genuine feelings for her. Amy and Owen embrace as the lover prepares to execute them. Lucy realizes the true nature of the lover and convinces the other women who serve him to see the lover for who he is. All the women attack the lover. The raw energy the attack releases explodes, killing the lover and the women. During the battle, Amy and Owen manage to escape. Days later, Amy and Owen decide to pursue a relationship. The end. Okay. All right, good. We, we, we got through that. We made it through time. We, we, I don't know, friends, if you could hear that, but we had some technical difficulties, but we made it happen. Awesome. Very cool. All right, Arthur, what are you hoping to get out of the next eh, half hour or so of, of brainstorming? Maybe some thoughts on the story points and some uh, insights on developing the characters, making them more three-dimensional, I guess. Okay. Okay, I think we can help you with that. In fact, I'm, I'm almost certain we can. Um, but before we do, we need to cover our butts. So, Arthur DeLeon, you are about to experience a veritable deluge, and I can assure you it will be a deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. Uh, it is important that you acknowledge that anything said from this point forward by myself, Seanan, or Michael uh, might be complete, as my uh, co-host Marie Billado has said, fuchsia doodle hornswoggle. Uh, this might be complete hornswoggle. Uh, it's your story, Arthur, and you absolutely get to decide what to keep and what to set aside. Are you cool with that? Uh, I am cool, so acknowledged. <laughs> Very good. Awesome. Uh, our butts are covered, so let's dive into this. We always start with a once around the table to identify some, some high-level points and ask some questions of clarification. Uh, and we always start with our guest hosts. So, Sean and McGuire, uh, start us off. What are your first impressions of Arthur's story, and uh, what questions of clarification do you have? I do have questions. Mm-hmm. Why is this in London? There is absolutely nothing about this story that says this is a London story to me. If you were a British author, that would be one thing. But for an American moving into a British setting, you kind of need to have a reason or people are going to focus on it. Um, I didn't see anything in this other than there's a cozy pub that needed to be in London. Well, I, um, I wanted to take, I guess... Owen out of his element and be have him be the person who is going somewhere new. 
You can do that within America, though. I mean, as a Californian, the first time I went to Indiana was like <laughs> entering a foreign country for me. So we have a lot of country that is is not going to bring up that question. I, I'm not saying you can't use the London setting. I Obviously, if that's what you want, that it is your story. But if I were to pick this up as a reader, I would keep expecting London to matter. You know, are we going to have something that could only have happened in a British setting? And I, I don't see that in the story as it stands. Um mm -hmm. Ariel's mother, you, you seem to be kind of trying to have your cake and eat it too. You want her to be a horrible enough person that we don't get mad at Ariel when she decides to go off and have a date rather than staying home and taking care of her mom. But you also want her to have this come to glory moment where she realizes that she's mistreating her daughter and she needs to, to be there for her. But then you want her daughter to be cool enough with the fact that she's dead. Like, woohoo, I get to have a life now that she's willing to enter a relationship weeks later. Um, and that is really contradictory for me at this stage. I don't see the mother you've described being willing to make those sacrifices for her daughter. I don't see a daughter who is dutiful enough to have to have given up that much to take care of her mother, even if her mother was an awful person, bouncing right back from her mom being dead to, okay, and, and now I can get laid. Um, that the kind of person that will give that much up for caretaking isn't normally the kind of person that can shrug it off that easily. There is there is a, definitely a continuity issue of, of Lucy, of the mother uh, uh, yeah. throughout. Yeah, agreed. Um, also, I'm, I'm not actually seeing why in this setting we need to have call her a superheroine because she has superpowers even if she can't use them um we need to have our focal character be a superheroine who cannot superhero uh there was no moment in your description i may have missed something because i was out for a little while due to those technical problems that dave mentioned um, but there was nothing in the description that i heard where she got to save the day, where she got control of her bubbles, where she figured it out. And it's it's cool if you don't want that, but as it stands, it feels a little bit like you're having an excuse to have a powerless central female character. Like, she doesn't even get to go, I don't need superpowers, I have a baseball bat. She just exists surrounded by powerful people without being one of them or having any epiphanies to make her position work. Um, so I would want to see her either have her power somehow be key, like her bubbles are a focusing thing for the scryer who seems super convenient right now. Like, oh, he just happened to have this teammate that he could convince to do a thing she shouldn't. Um, or have her get control of her powers and she can cut off the, the lover's air supply because they're airtight something. Because right now your main character seems a little bit useless. Arthur, thoughts? Uh, are, you, are you seeing where Shannon's coming from? Yes. Um, sort of an alternate ending I was kicking around was one where the lover actually tries to infuse her with powers and doesn't realize she has any, which ends up supercharging her powers and she can use that to defeat him. Yeah, but that doesn't address the issue that Shannon's presenting, Arthur, that, that, that Amy... As, as a protag, as a character, at this point, her, her arc uh, does not include uh, a, a heroic choice. 
or or a, a moment of transformation where she overcomes the obstacles to to bring her up. Uh, so, Shauna, I think we can explore Amy a little bit more uh, in mm-hmm. that context and see if we can't shore her up just a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, other thoughts before I move on to Michael? Nope, I'm good. Okay, Michael, your first thoughts and questions for Arthur. Yeah, so the, the biggest thing that I wasn't certain about is why Owen needs the big donor's money. So could you fill me in, in on that? I'm sorry, maybe that wasn't clear. It's not that he needed money. It's that his um, commanding officer told him to protect a rich person, and he instead protected an entire crowd of people, So which, the thing, which, the which thing then that- got him demoted. Okay, so the demotion, hiding the demotion is the big betrayal? Uh, yes. Okay, Uh, that doesn't feel substantive enough to constitute, um, kind of the, the, the breakup stage of, um, kind of a standard romance structure. If you're using the, the, the romance arc structure of the two, the two characters that are getting together have something that splits them apart, um, if that's what this betrayal is meant to be, for me, it doesn't feel substantive enough. Yeah, I mean, uh, Owen's being a hero. I mean, <laughs> by by making that choice, it's actually cool that what he did and the fact that he de- got demoted is almost like a badge of, of courage, you know, the red badge of courage. And why making Amy break up with him for that kind of... She comes across her- as a little shallow. Yeah. Yeah, because if, if instead he... Like and this can this changes his arc a fair amount, but it's I want to explore the space and see what you think about it. If instead he does protect the donor because he wants to get a kickback, which then he would take to Amy and say, "Here's all this money. You don't have to worry about your mom anymore." Um, like that's me providing a couple of of beats worth of idea. But as is being like oh i didn't tell you that i was demoted for being a hero seems like uh, this weird humble brag thing that i don't think i don't think it's it for me as a as a potential reader is not gonna do what i think maybe you're hoping it should do so i'd look at that moment and get a sense of what what would amy recoil from in terms of decisions that he makes and i think that those decisions may be more than what he is or isn't foregrounding and how he's saying this because the that level of miscommunication to me just doesn't doesn't work as a substantive relationship, um, a, a place for that relationship to really change in a big way. Arthur, does that make sense? Yes, I think so. We can revisit that because I mean that's that's in the big climactic scene at the end where all the the story arcs and all of the conflicts and so on need to be resolved. I, th- I think we'll be revisiting that uh, uh, and and reexamining that as we move forward in the brainstorm. What else you got, Michael? Uh, so, I'd like to to think about Amy's support network. So mm-hmm. if she like she is you know she works. She takes care of her mom. She has these connections to the super team. Does she have a local community? Does she have anybody else who ever helps her with caretaking? Um, if she doesn't, why is that? Um, sometimes people end up kind of all on their own or there are certain demands for caretaking. Caretaking is very uh, demanding. And I think having a character for whom have a caretaker role is really important. Like that's interesting. But I... I would ask to think a little bit more about how would Amy normally get to go out and have an evening 
and then how would would this situation be different so that that could create realistic room for her guilt without seeming like it makes no sense. And also provide a sounding board for exploring that guilt a little bit. So I don't know if you'd thought about um, kind of what the rest of her her social circle looks like and how any of them play into um, or inform or are confidants for her relationship with her mom. Does she have friends? Because right now it doesn't really read like she does. Right. I had thought she would uh, have friends at work. And I also potentially considered having uh, sort of the technology be advanced enough where she had a robot, but... Uh, maybe the mother is not happy with the robot. She she wants it to be Amy who's there. Sure, because um, if you've got if you're in a super setting, the uh, the one of the things that you can look at if you want to is the fact that in a world with Reed Richards, we we should have lots of super tech. Marvel and DC pull away from that because they want to maintain a very Earth-like status quo, at least as my read of how those universes tend to work. But you can do whatever you want if you want to have super tech and you want to have caretaker robots. That could be interesting um, because you can have as a sub theme kind of to what degree would people who have robotic caretakers regard them as people or not people, depending on how those advanced those are. That's really interesting. And there could be some triangulation in that relationship where maybe Lucy doesn't like the robot as much because she wants to spend time with Amy and she's reaching out to Amy and maybe she doesn't doing that in a good way. There's a com- some kind of communication failure. It plays into something that what that some part of Amy and, and Lucy's relationship before Lucy got sick, kind of what's the re- what's up with the rest of their family. I'd like to expand the world around Amy and Lucy a little bit more and see what can go in there to help enrich that relationship. So yeah, that's 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 me for now. Awesome. Very cool. So uh, for myself, uh, Arthur, um, everyone has affirmed a lot of good ideas as far as ways to strengthen and and reinforce the narrative. Um, my, I need to affirm what uh, what Shannon brought out. The, it feels like Lucy, I mean, the only person that does something heroic in your story as it is now is Lucy. Lucy sacrifices herself to save her daughter, which pretty much means she's the protagonist, but clearly she's not. Uh, so we, I, I, we do need to address the, the role that Lucy and Amy are playing, uh, in the context of each other and in the larger arc of the story. The biggest thing that I'm getting hung up on is your antagonist, um, the lover. Uh, what is, is, is it a, he, is it a male identified, uh, entity? I had been thinking it'd be male. Yes. Okay. Um, and and is it a god? Is it uh, a, a demon? Uh, is it's what what is its context in the in the scheme of your universe? I don't have his um, exact origin. I was just uh, viewing him as someone who's sort of fueled by cosmic energy as opposed to magical energy. Okay. All right. So it it this power uh, 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 this this being this ability of this lover to command unquestioned devotion and love of exclusively female victims, and I will call them victims, uh, uh, and then uh, uh, cast them aside or or force them to uh, uh, exact horrible payments against their loved ones, children, husbands, parents, whatever, um, 
and I can't put my finger on it, but there's something very, very wrong with that. Uh, uh, th these powers and this ability and the dynamic that it sets up with a villain like that, I think that needs to be what the story's about. Uh, uh, that we need to see, you know, toxic masculinity. We need to explore um, uh, uh, the nature of uh, uh, feminist roles in the context of the patriarchy. I mean, that villain is the uh, the patriarchy. I don't know. I feel like I'm stepping into an area that I'm not uh, qualified to speak on. Please. It's gonna gonna come across as super rapey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's like there seems to be a pretty big coercion aspect built into the temptation and a lot of the way that these characters are weaponized seems very gendered in a way that I feel like plays into some negative stereotypes. And I think if you're going to address like if you're going to be using those tools, I think it for me as a reader, it has to be done very consciously. Um, and that you're reacting against it or you're intending to deconstruct it. Um, you know, the way that folks have talked about it, you know, I'm reminded a lot of um, the the TV uh, the TV series uh, Jessica Jones, which of course comes from the Marvel comics. If you're going to have a character who is playing in that space, um, I would agree with Dave that you're going to have to deal with it. Um, and right now, it feels like it's mostly being used to be able to then serve other things, which makes me uneasy. Yeah. Yeah. You're also going to have the issue of back to Amy a little bit. Right now, Amy is functionally a powerless superhero. By making her a superhero at all, by saying she has powers, you've set up this, these expectations that she then does not get to fulfill. And when you have someone who's literally wandering around stealing women and using them as weapons in a book where your ostensible protagonist is a powerless superheroine, it sends messages that I don't think you intend. Another work I would point you to if you want to kind of dig into some of these related topics is um, Heroin Complex by Sarah Kuhn. The female lead starts out with kind of a quote-unquote useless superpower, and it and the the novel addresses what like what Shauna says, a character coming to grips with their ability or lack of ability and their relationship to it. I think if you want to have a character who is effectively has effectively has zero powers, you can let her have zero powers. That would let you maybe step away from some of the expectations if you don't intend to deliver on the the kind of the general expectation of here's a here's a superhero novel starring a superhero who maybe doesn't start out as as heroic. The expectation is as Shannon indicated. Um, are you, is this intended to be from Amy's perspective exclusively or mostly? Like what's the POV situation you're thinking? Um, I was not uh, planning it on being exclusively Amy's perspective, no. Um, so I was uh, planning on examining maybe multiple characters. Yeah, because if you have, if this is Amy, Owen, Lucy, and possibly the lover, depending on how you want to play it, mm -hmm. having those other characters means you probably are going to want to have some kind of character arc for each of them. And Amy's arc currently feels very weak. And even spreading out the POV doesn't address the the kind of gendered implications of the lover's setup um, without having to change some other things. So. I think spreading out the POV can be very useful. It will help decenter some of these questions, but I don't think it means that you have you don't have to answer them. I do have a question about Lucy, um, which is how did she become ill? What is what is her actual deal? I considered 
an actual illness, and then I also considered maybe something from that's not real from this this comic book world, maybe some kind of illness that causes you know intense maybe panic attacks and uh, degeneration of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, I was leaning no- more towards that. Okay, and how are you going to deal with the? very toxic message that we sometimes get in fiction, uh, which is that disabled and unwell people are better off dead and it's better for their families. Because right now, Amy's happy ending is very much tied to, and the mother that you have been taking care of is dead now. Well, and Uh, and her very first action uh, of volition in the story is to abandon her mother and go on a date. Which is great. It's good for her to have her own life if the mother is super abusive. But then the sacrificing herself to save Amy becomes a much harder sell. And one thing that you will get a lot of pushback for, and some of it's justified and some of it is that people are very oversensitized to this because it happens so much in fiction, is if you even seem to be implying that disabled people and sick people are better off dead... The world will fall on your head, and rightly so. <laughs> yeah. So Arthur, you're- Arthur, do you see? Do you see what Sean is saying? Yes. Yes. I definitely don't want to um, imply that. I guess sort of the ideas more came from uh, some of the work I do, where uh, I work in a charity, and I see people who spend more time sort of trying to get attention from the press more for themselves and not necessarily in the good way for the cause than they do actually helping people. And I've always had a question about that. So that's, I think that's where sort of some of my root of the concept for the lover comes from. Mm -hmm. And then um, there are the people that I just see working uh, day and night, which is great, but sort of to the point where they uh, make themselves sick uh, caring for others. So, so Arthur, is, let me let me ask the, you something real quick. Um, which came first with this story conception? Was it was it the lover? Was was it the antagonist that you were were railing against? Are you are you making a statement against something or for something, and then the other characters evolved to build around that, or was it the other way around? I think the the very first thought was um, Amy and her mother, just someone who has to deal with. Uh, a very demanding uh, family member and sort of no matter what power they may have is powerless to, to help. And then, as I said, uh, the lovers, it's sort of someone who, who sort of helps just for the, the awards and, and the uh, recognition. Okay. Not, the, All right. not the actual sense of wanting to help. I, th- I think we can, I think we can tweak that just a little bit. Michael, I, I stepped over you. I'm sorry. What were you going to say? Yeah, so maybe I I misunderstood in the in the breakdown. Like, the lover goes and offers these powers to people. Is he offering them all to people with substantial disabilities or illnesses? And like, he builds his Amazons out of people that he then like parades around having healed. Like, what's the what's the relationship there? Not necessarily uh, all uh, disabled women, but disabled uh, or or abused women. Okay, and then, like, to what degree does he then turn and make that, like, does he then do a lot of media stuff? Is he, like, does he go on, like, all the Dr. Phil's and things as, like, a miracle worker? Like, what's his social outward-facing manifestation of what he's doing with these people? Uh, It would be more uh, as 
constructing his own sort of private church slash cult. So something I'd suggest as a possibility to discard at your leisure, if he has a church in London and Lucy has been either going on her own or hearing about it, if it's got like a YouTube page or something, there could be a slower adoption because if the lover is offering easy answers um, and the lover is kind of, uh, you know, the charmer, the charmer, seducer, villain type character, he could be making promises that don't make any sense unless you have magical powers and that there could be a little bit broader of a social context and there, the, the draw of that church and the easy answers it offers could then play off of the perhaps some often tense relationship that Amy and Lucy have. And there can be a more relationship oriented version of how this narrative unfolds so that there's a little bit, yeah, there's more of a social context to it. Like, how does that idea sound? Does that fit with what you were already thinking or does that appeal at all? No, I think that's a good idea. So, um, he doesn't necessarily have to be a cosmic being. He could be a person who has somehow accessed cosmic energy and then begins to build this Amazon church around himself. Well, and, right. you know, and Michael, Michael invoked uh, uh, Jessica Jones. I mean, uh, uh, Kilgrave was not a cosmic being or a god or anything. He just had powers. And he wasn't on any big radars, but he still affected the, uh, uh, the world around him profoundly. Yeah, and I think if you're gonna if you're gonna keep his targets all being women, you'll have to think about and be aware of the ways that the the broader cultural implications of the individual character choices and plot beats are going to manifest. If if they have if the if the victims all have to be his version of what women mean, um, there's an unstated assumption and things that unpack from there. Yeah. If it's more broadly, he preys on people who he offers easy answers to because he has these abilities, that doesn't necessarily have to be gendered. Yeah. You could actually very easily make part of his power set, you know, go the desire from Sandman route. Is is the lover male? Is the lover female? Well, what do you want, honey? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is going to what is going to make me most appealing to you and therefore allow me to get you when that is all I want? You know, when when you say the lover, especially in the more cosmic implication, that says that you can be anything I desire you to be. And you'll have a much wider prey pool at that point. Yeah. See, I like that because that that totally extracts the whole uh, uh, gender tension from the antagonist itself and and opens it up to a much, I I think, a much deeper uh, uh, definition of of love and passion and desire that uh, when you start dealing with critically ill uh, people, people uh, who have powers, but they're useless, people who are in dead end jobs or not doing what they want to do. Desire is the very thing that drives them and gets them up every single day. So having uh, uh, an antagonist who can fulfill those and then you start getting into at what price uh i I think that has i think that's got legs i think that's got a a much stronger appeal i was even going to suggest that amy and and lucy actually go to the lover of their own volition uh building on what michael was suggesting about this whole dr phil therapy thing and and having it be initially a good thing 
uh, and maybe having the darker side of the lover's agenda being played out in the background, we don't necessarily know it's the lover until later on. And then with that startling revelation, oh my God, uh, uh, then suddenly the story twists and pivots and we have to make choices. I don't know. Yeah, if it's a, like people have power, so there are going to be superpowered faith healers. They're going to be magic faith healers. If he presents as that, but what he's actually doing is some kind of predatory wish, wish fulfillment thing, where there there's something on the back end where if he grants you these things, you give up a part of your, your self-control or some of your own agency. Um, like That can be a way that he presents in one fashion, but then he's actually doing something else. And then I'd, I'd wonder what the version what this version of the lover's end game is like what's he trying to go to is he is he yeah. building toward being a joel Osteen? where like what direction is he going and then what does he do with these people who seem to be under his control um as you move on and like that impacts the plot uh, i love everything that folks are saying about like building on this this notion of social connection because amy could want to have better superpowers because she sees these heroes going off every day like there you can tie a lot of what you already have back into this idea sure still super rapey you got to acknowledge that yeah yeah and that's okay super rapey is okay in fiction but you can't be super rapey by mistake anymore like you have to honestly and and this is even if you do not take a single thing we say to you today as a change you want to make you have to interrogate your own story and go is this rapey does this have connotations i did not intend you know did i introduce 20 characters of color and then kill them all and feel super proud because i had 20 characters of color well they're still dead and you look like a racist Mm -hmm. like you have to interrogate for those things because the audience will yeah very much sure because of who these characters are once you have a clear sense of a full cast and all of the nuance of their relationships and the tensions and the way that people are pulled between different desires that manifest or are assigned to different characters. There's a lot of desire and wanting to be more than who you are or being afraid of how you're perceived. So the thematic um, template, like the thematic landscape there seems to be pretty clear. And once you have a clear sense of how all this fits together, how you want to address disability, caretaker, um, kind of ambitions, and the way that the the gendered societal setup works. It seems like you have all the pieces on the table already. Mm -hmm. So then it's just a question of how do you want to put them together and being thoughtful about how you do it and what that means. Yeah. So it just basically what, you know, take all of all of Shannon's warnings (laughs) <laughs> and the thing that I would that I I would say is I think you can pull this out just fine. Mm-hmm, um, absolutely. So just you know, we have confidence in you. You've got a great tool, number of tools. We've given you a lot to think about, and it may be that you need to think all the way back to just who these characters are and what kind of story you want to tell, and rebuild it from there. Because now, it, it, if you feel like you have a better rounded sense of all of these things and what to look out for, and it's okay to kind of go back and rebuild it it's mm-hmm. way better to rebuild in the outline stage than to get the end get to the end of a draft and go oh look at all these thematic implications that i never meant to do i'm gonna throw out sixty thousand words now so <laughs> that's good yeah absolutely if, it, if it's in service to the story and it makes the story stronger absolutely absolutely and and for myself 
Arthur, my my final thoughts on on this is that it, it feels like you are are deeply invested in this this uh, uh, cross universe story world that you've been evolving, um, and and you've got uh, uh, the tech, you've got the teams, you've got the the those visual. Um, I don't know, icons, tropes, uh, metaphors, the, the flying women that come in and kick ass, um, and, and all of those elements. But it's very much unsupported by characters with genuine desires, genuine, uh, uh, objectives and goals. We're not clear. We're not clear what the lover's end game is other than I want a church to everything. So you can what? Uh, so I can be adored. So you can do what? Uh, what is the end-all, be-all, both in life and also in this story for the lover? Same with Amy, same with Owen. Uh, uh, and and I would urge you away from Amy wanting to be rid of her mother. Uh, I think we need to find a, a, a unification there. We need to find some sort of uh, synthesis or reconciliation, redemption. That's the word I was looking for, not synthesis. Uh, uh, between those very legitimate, but also very sensitive and, and tender uh, spots in a child and parent's relationship. Owen's agenda can't be, I, I, I want to have a relationship with Amy. Uh, uh, that's, that's not going to keep me turning pages. I need, to, I need a hero I can get behind uh, that I believe in that makes mistakes, but is ultimately a good being, a good person, someone worthy of seeing me through you know, 80,000 words or whatever. So you've got a great world going on around it. I think you just need to uh, attend to those people that give it life, that beat, give it its beating heart and the warm blood that pushes through it, and and give them a, a an arc and a path that they can that they can focus on. And, and I do have a quick world question. Yeah, yeah. Why yeah. is it why is it called Crossroads? It's just something I came up for the. Um working idea for the universal world name not not trying for branding it's nothing i'm that's set in stone well so one crossroads is not going to get you good branding because there are already about 12 worlds called crossroads <laughs> True. um and and two culturally speaking crossroads is much more tied to the supernatural right now um, to the idea of making bargains, of going down to the crossroads, and there are the demons, and you you make these exchanges. As a folklorist, there I, I kept waiting for the crossroads to come to this party, and they kept not being invited. Mm. So I think you may need to put some ter- some thought on a branding end into what you want your world name to be and what you want it to serve. Because uh, that was actually super pants perplexing. <laughs> yeah, because if if the lover's church is the crossroads church, then that can have the like, oh, you come to a new stage in your life and you cross a boundary and like we have put all these positive associations, but you're also making a deal. Like that can work. <laughs> but that doesn't really work as a world name, yeah, which is what less... he was going for, because yeah, yeah. unless unless the only character that makes it out alive and is our actual protagonist is the lover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and let, like the if the setting is much more explicitly about magic and powers, and it's like that kind of cross thing, maybe. But I think I think Shannon is dead on that. There that the associations are are really set, and maybe not in a way that helps you. Yeah, agreed. 
Arthur, here, here's the final thing, man. Here's the deal. Um, we want to help you uh, write this story, build this world, uh, ensure solid continuity and goodness. Uh, and to that end, as our courageous guest writer for this episode of Archivos Brainstorms, we are going to bestow upon you, sir, a free year of the Archivos story development platform. And you will have a storyteller subscription for 12 months to help you document and explore and illuminate the story setting. You down with that, man? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> you bet. Awesome. And Seanan, as guest host, uh, we are also going to be stowing you uh, a year's subscription of Archivos uh, uh, to play with and see if it, it gels with your uh, utterly unique uh, storytelling mojo. Cool pants. Indeed, cool pants. Ah, wow. Uh, Arthur, dude, thank you so much. There was... There was a lot to explore in there, and I know you're taking a risk when you put your stuff up there. I'm deeply grateful, man. Thank you. Thank you. You betcha. Uh, Shonen McGuire, uh, this is why we bring veterans onto the show, ma'am. You you brought your A-game, elevated the conversation to points that needed to be addressed. Uh, we are deeply appreciative. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. As always, you are most welcome. And Michael Underwood, my co-host with the most host, uh, that never works. I really need to stop using that particular yeah, What phrase. the hell's the most of? I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> I have some? I, I just, it rhymes. That was my sole thing, and it doesn't. No, it really doesn't. <laughs> let's, let's learn about rhyming, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> let's not do that ever again. Done. It is stricken from my canon. Uh, <laughs> regardless of whether I can rhyme or not, Michael, no. it's always a pleasure to walk the story paths with you, man. I appreciate you making the time. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. And friends, thank you for hitting the play button. Without you, we're just a, a bunch of people on a Skype line talking story, which is awesome. But now that you click the play button, you get to strike the spark and feel the goodness and drink deep of the awesomeness uh, that was bandied about in that brainstorm. If you're digging it, spread the word out into the world and let us let other folks know about the awesomeness that's going down down here. And wow, I'm just, I'm spent and exhausted. But you know, here's the deal. In 14 days, we're going to be back. We'll have another guest host pouring wisdom in our ears, another courageous guest writer setting a storytelling feast for our brainstorm. More Archivos podcast goodness for all. It's 14 days. I know that's a long time. Michael, help us out, man. What what can our listeners do between now and 14 days from now to, to, to rock the time? Well, I think you should uh, check out the Archivos app for uh, developing and managing your story worlds. See what it uh, it inspires in your brain. And no matter what else you do, write. Absolutely. Sound advice on all corners. And I will tell you, friends, as I always do, you find what you're looking for. So look for that top shelf blue label goodness. Look for that present lost in the back of the Christmas tree. Look for the awesome in the world and you will find it. We'll be back in just 14 days. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of Archivos Brainstorms is copyright 2017 by WonderThing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike 4.0 International License. To find out what that means and how you can use this content in your own presentations, visit www.creativecommons.org. Theme music for this episode of Archivos Brainstorms was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. 
Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation, or just learn more about the Archivos Podcast Network, visit our website at www.archivos.digital and click the podcast link. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at podcast at archivos.digital. Thanks for listening.